Thanks so much for listening to the Clifton Church of Christ sermon podcast. We really appreciate you taking the time to listen, and we hope if ever you're in Clifton, Texas, you'll stop by and say hello. We hope you enjoy this sermon. So we've been going through our series on Ruth. Uh, Ruth, We're in Ruth chapter 3, if you want to turn your Bible there. But before we get started, I have to kind of uh, clarify something or make sure you're aware of something, which is this phrase, what is a guardian redeemer? We were introduced to this last week when we met Boaz. Ruth came home from being out in the field, and she said, Naomi said, man, who was so kind to you? Who gave you all this stuff and was so generous to you? And she said, oh, it was this man named Boaz. And Naomi is shocked and says, Boaz, he's one of our guardian redeemers. And now everyone who would have heard that back then, it would have made total sense. It would have been like if I made a joke where I said, like, Luke, who is your father? Everyone here would kind of be like, oh, that's a Star Wars reference. And if you're not, you need to watch these movies. They're called Star Wars, and they're great. But it's kind of a reference where when you just say it, you're like, oh, we get what we're talking about. But a guardian redeemer is something that they would have been completely familiar with. And for us, it's like, what, is, what exactly does that mean? So I just want to describe it to you because it's going to help the whole point. A guardian redeemer is someone that was a cl- the closest Hebrew or male relative of the family who could do certain things for someone in uh, whether that person, like let's say someone had a debt and they decided to sell themselves as a servant to be a servant of a family. A close male relative could pay that debt and redeem that person back from being in service of that family. If someone sold family land, and if you think family land is important to us, family land is very important back then. If you had sold your family land to pay off a debt, a guardian redeemer could come pay that and get it back in the family inheritance. If someone was wronged or murdered in their afterlife, a guardian redeemer could come and they could right that wrong for that person in their death. And then also, as we see in our story, part of what would happen is if a family line was in jeopardy of going out because a woman was not able to have children and her husband died, you hear that famous story in the New Testament where the teachers are trying to trick Jesus. And they're like, let's say a woman was married to a man and he died. And so she married his brother. And then he died. And then she marries his brother. And then he died. Whose, Whose husband is, you know, hers in heaven or whatever? And you get this weird thing. Well, it's because... A guardian redeemer was the closest male relative who had the ability to, if that family line was in jeopardy of going out, they could marry the woman and then provide an heir for that family to continue their family line. This is the, the biggest question in the story of Ruth with Naomi is, in chapter 1, we're worried about Naomi's fam- and the line of Elimelech coming to an end. And so whenever Ruth says, this is Boaz, or I met this guy named Boaz, Naomi's like, this is it, this is our shot. For the family line of, of my family, our family, not to go out. So there's this new hope that Boaz is going to be the answer to this. So with that in mind, let's, uh, let's read from Ruth chapter 3. I'm going to do the thing I always do where I read and then we talk about it. And then I read and we talk about it. And then I talk about Jesus. All right? Does that sound good? Um, One day, Ruth's mother-in-law, Naomi, said to her, My daughter, I must find a home for you where you will be well provided for. Now Boaz, with whose women you have worked, is a relative of ours. He is our guardian redeemer. Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash, put on perfume, and get dressed in your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. When he lies down, note the place where he is lying. Then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do. Then Ruth responded, I will do whatever you say. So she went down to the threshing floor and did everything her mother-in-law told her to do. So 
This is the most dramatic. Oh, oh, I'm so sorry. I didn't keep going. Uh, hopefully you were following along and you just liked the sound of my voice, but uh, that was the, the rest of that reading. But um, this is the most climactic scene in the whole story. This is a drama-filled, intense, what is going to happen moment. Basically, how many of you have seen the movie Hitch with Will Smith? Anybody seen the movie Hitch before? It's basically this movie where this guy named Hitch, who is played by Will Smith, what he does is he helps guys who love girls to, and they're like, I just want an opportunity to ask her you know, to, to marry me, but she just doesn't even notice me. What he does is he helps them get a chance to go on a date with the girl by trying to manipulate the situation as much as possible. So let me give you an example. Hey, Hitch, I want to marry this girl, and, and I love her. Well, tell me about her. Well, she loves dogs. She goes running every morning. And he's like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Where does she go running by every morning? Okay, she runs by here. Well, you're going to be there, and you're going to like be tying your shoe at 6.47 a.m., and whenever, whenever she comes by, you know, stand up and accidentally bump into her. And then, she, oh, I'm so sorry, and, and oh, I love your dog, and here, oh, here's a dog treat. Oh, are you a dog person? And, and, then, and then say, well, hey, how about I take you to go get a coffee? Basically, you know, you see what I mean? Kind of trying to find that right situation. And I know all of you have been there before. I know all of you, there's the girl you liked, and you're like, well, she has class in the business building, and then she goes to this class after second period, and I see her walk by every day. Well, here's what you got to do, you know? You, you got to be ordering coffee right before her and say, hey, I'll buy your coffee if you want to go talk. You see what I mean? Okay. This is what Naomi is doing. Naomi is telling Ruth, listen, this guy is our best shot at redeeming our family line. And I know that tonight, and very soon, Boaz is going to be winnowing barley and you need to go. And I want you to take a shower. I want you to comb your hair, put on your best dress, shave your legs, and go and be... And just do everything you need to do to be as attractive as possible to Boaz. Because this is our shot, okay? This is our chance. And so what she does is she, she tells her, and, and what, is, what does Ruth do? Ruth says, okay, I'll do what you say. And Ruth, what we, what we probably don't grasp just enough is this is a very risky proposition. She is really putting herself out there. She is going to lay at his feet and uncover his feet. And this is Naomi's plan. And she says, he's going to tell you what to do. And I think we just have to realize just how much Naomi is, is trying to do the right thing. And Ruth is saying, you know what? All right, I'll do what you say. How many of you, when your friend gave you the advice of, here's how you got to ask her out on the date? You're like, I don't know. That, that is risky. Like, that sounds like a lot. Did any of it involve, like, finding where they slept and laying down at the base of their bed? When he wakes up in the morning, you know, you're like, hi there. You know, you see what I mean? <laughs> Okay, this is, this is very risky. So let's, part of the point that I want to make, though, before we move on, is the tagline for our series has been Ruth, where our story and God's story meet. And I've tried to indicate that even though the narrator never says the words, and God did this, he leaves so many clues that God is at work. In chapter 2, it'll say, it just so happened that Ruth went to Boaz's field. It just so happened that Boaz showed up. And we're supposed to see God at work in that. Chapter 3 is the chapter where there is almost none of that. There is very little of it just so happened and God was at, you know, where you see God's fingerprints. And that's very on purpose because the narrator wants to point out something here in chapter 3. That part of us being a part of God's story is sometimes we have to act. And this is the chapter where Naomi is saying, you know what? We've got to act on this. We've got to do something. And sometimes 
And I don't want it to seem at all like that's saying, you know, well, God is at work, and, and so don't be patient for what he's doing in your life. There's always a place for being still and being patient for God working in your story. There is also a time for you to act and to jump in and to join in. And we see that that's something that is admired by the characters in this story. Okay, so now let's keep reading. Here we go, the big moment. When Boaz had finished eating and drinking and was in good spirits, he's feeling good, uh, he went over and lie down at the far end of the grain pile. Ruth approached quietly, uncovered his feet, and lay down. In the middle of the night, something startled the man. He turned, and there was a woman lying at his feet. Who are you? he asked. I am your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. Okay, so let's talk about this for a second. Um, the plan's working great. Everything's going great. Everything's going exactly how we planned. This idea of her uncovering uh, his feet, we get this idea that, you know, while he's sleeping, if you're all warm and cozy, you stay asleep. But if your feet are out to the night air, you know, maybe it's going to wake him up, stir him. And all of a sudden, he's awake. And Boaz, the question is, how is Boaz going to react? Because he's laying there and he's like, wait a second, who's, who's this? Who's this person right here? I, I told Catherine, I was like, we really can't come up with a good analogy for it. I said it would be almost like, uh, one story I have is I remember my parents, one time we flew to California and we rented an RV and we went up Highway 1 to Yosemite. And I remember the first night, my parents were planning on sleeping in the bed that was like in the covered area, but it was like hard as a rock. And so I remember after they tried, my dad came and slept next to me where I was sleeping and my mom went and slept next to my sister where she was sleeping. And I remember going to bed by myself and waking up and being like, Who's this? You know? Uh, and kind of having this uh, surprise. And that's kind of what this is like, is Boaz is going to sleep and he wakes up and he's like, who is this person? And here's, a, here's another thing that's really important to the story. When Naomi told Ruth what to do, what Naomi said was, when he wakes up, he will know what to do. Listen to his instructions. And is that what Ruth does? When Boaz wakes up, what does Ruth do? Ruth does something different. She speaks to Boaz, and she says this very important thing. She says, I am your servant Ruth. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a guardian redeemer of our family. And there's two ways that this is a really big deal. First of all, this phrase, spread the garment, the cover of your garment over me, was a phrase back then for marry me. Ruth, yeah. <laughs> Ruth, Ruth here has just proposed to Boaz. I'll tell you why. Ezekiel 16.8. This is God speaking to Israel like a, a, a groom speaking to a bride. Later I passed by you, and when I looked at you, I saw that you were old enough for love, for marriage. I spread the corner of my garment over you and covered your naked body. I gave you my solemn oath and entered into a covenant with you, declares the sovereign Lord, and you became mine. Spreading the corner of your garment is a phrase for proposing marriage to someone back then. So, Ruth says, when Boaz wakes up, she says, I am your servant, Ruth. Marry me, is what she just said to Boaz. Now, if any of you have a son or have had a son before, and you imagine they went out on a date and they came on, hey, honey, how was the date? Well, like, yeah, how was the date? Well, she got down on one knee and she proposed to me. Even I'm not the most traditional person in the world, but that would be surprising to me, right? That would be like, whoa, what? How, wait, don't you propose? Can, I can't even imagine what it was like back then. Back then it was this family, 
the parents talk, this family, the parents talk, and they decide, okay, y'all are a good match, you can get married. That's how it worked back then. And so this is just outrageously bold of Ruth. And another thing I want to point out before I move on is, do you remember in Ruth 2, when Boaz and Ruth are talking, Boaz is so impressed by Ruth and her devotion to Naomi. And what he does is he says, may the Lord bless you, may the Lord cover you with his wings. That word is almost the exact same word as the corner of your garment in Hebrew. And so what Ruth is basically saying is she said, you know earlier when we, when we were talking a little while ago and you said that you prayed that God would cover you with his wings of refuge, I'm asking you to cover me with your wings of refuge and marry me. This is big stuff. This is dramatic. This is awesome. Okay, let's keep reading. The Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. The kind, this kindness, this steadfast faithfulness, that Hebrew word, that the steadfast faithfulness of God is this word that we translate kindness, this hesed, is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, whether rich or poor. And now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All the people of my town know that you are a woman of noble character. Although it is true that I am a guardian redeemer of your family. He's saying, I've thought about it. I've, made, I've checked it out. I do know that I am a guardian redeemer for your family. But there is another man who is a closer guardian redeemer than me. There's one more person who has more of a right, more of a responsibility than me to be your husband and to redeem your family line. Stay here for the night and in the morning. If he wants to do his duty as your guardian redeemer, good, let him redeem you. But if he is not willing, as surely as the Lord lives, I will do it. Lie here until morning. So he's saying, well, I'll, I'll keep reading and then I'll explain. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, no one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. People are going to be talking about this. So you need to you know, hide yourself. Don't let anyone see you that you were here. He also said, bring me the shawl that you are wearing and hold it out. When she did, he poured into it six measures of barley. Just for good measure, he's giving her even more food to take care of them. And he placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. Okay, so a few things I just want to point out about this that are, the way the story goes is Boaz, he does what we were hoping. He says, I'm going to do it. We're going to get married. But we've got to do this the right way. And I know that there's one more person that's closer. So the tension of will the guardian redeemer make a line for the line of Elimelech, we feel good that that's going to happen. But now we're like, wait, is it going to be Boaz or is it going to be this other guy? We want it to be Boaz. And so we're still waiting to find that out. But one of the things that I hope you notice is that part where he says, this kindness that you have done is even greater than the one you did before. And what he's saying is you leaving Moab to come with Naomi, that was such an amazing act of faithfulness and devotion. But this act is even more. And you might be wondering, like, how is this more than leaving your own country? And here's, here's the cool thing that most people don't notice. When Naomi sent Ruth to go do this, her purpose was for Ruth to find a husband and for her to be taken care of. Because she knew, I'm, she's with me, and when I'm gone, she's going to have nobody. I've got to find someone to take care of her. That was Naomi's motivation. And what Naomi was imagining, this is, you know, she's probably got multiple things in her mind, but at the bottom line, she just at least wanted her to marry Boaz. What, Na what Ruth had in mind was not just marrying Boaz, but being the him being her guardian redeemer. Because get this, if Ruth marries Boaz, then all of their children are Boaz's children. All of them are his line. But if he becomes her guardian redeemer, then everything that he does for her, all their children, through her, will be Elimelech's children in that family line. And it will bless Naomi. 
All of, all of the land that is the Elimelech family land will stay in the Elimelech family and not be dispersed because Naomi will have an heir. And so he's saying, this is even more impressive devotion because you're not even looking out for yourself, for your children to be from the line of Boaz. You're still looking out for Naomi to have an heir. You're still putting yourself at risk so that Naomi will be able to continue her family. So what I want to... Oh, let's finish reading. Let me see if there's anything else I need to mention. Okay, so nothing else. Um, let's read this and then we'll get to our final points. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? You know, what happened? Uh, you, can, you can imagine that she was probably a nervous wreck, you know, the whole time. And... Uh, um, I even think about it, was Ruth, you know, when Ruth snuck up at midnight, you know, uncovered his feet and then lay there. I'm sure she wasn't sleeping. I'm sure she was like, her heart was racing, like, what's about to happen? And so they come back, she said, how did it go? Well, she told her everything that Boaz had done for her and added, he even gave me these six measures of barley saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. By the way, whenever any of y'all have me over for food, y'all never leave me empty-handed with leftovers. I want you to know that. I always love that. I'm like, Catherine, whenever we go eat with someone, we always have like five meals after that because like everyone's like, no, here, take the leftovers. Then Naomi said, wait, my daughter, until you find out what has happened, for the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. So um, it's a pretty cool story. We'll, we'll wrap up chapter four next week. But uh, what I want to talk about for a second here is this weighing risks. Because this chapter is about risk-taking. This chapter is absolutely about risk-taking. And I don't know about you, but I kind of grew up where the word taking risk or that phrase was like a negative phrase. Like, oh man, that's risky. You know, or, oh, I don't know if you want to take that risk. And I know for many of you, you probably understand that. Like, the idea of risky things is like something you would like to avoid with everything you have. And yet, I would guarantee you that pretty much everything that really matters in your life, you had to take a risk for it. I know I've already used romance analogies, but at some level, if I wanted Catherine to be my wife, I had to be willing to take a risk, knowing that she could break my heart, knowing that she could hurt me. I had to be willing to put myself out there and say, I want to be more than just, we're friends. I'm risking for us to be more than that. And you have the total ability to hurt me badly, or you have the ability to make me very happy. And I took the risk. And there are other of us that have experienced risks where it doesn't work out or it does work out. Whenever you choose to start a job, especially for people who like take a job and it makes them move to a new town, you sell everything, you uproot, you go there, you start working and you're risking because you might get fired. You might, it might not work out, but you took the risk because you thought it was, you weighed that risk. Whenever you decide to have children, whether you've weighed the risk or not in your mind, you are risking something because that young baby at some point will have the opportunity to choose to love you or to not love you. And that is the most painful risk you can imagine because when they grow up, it's their choice. No matter how much you love them, when they get older, it is incredibly painful if they choose to not love you and it's incredibly joyful if they choose to love you. And it's a risk that many of us choose to take. And so I just want to point out that this phrase, risk-taking, it can't just be a negative because throughout Scripture there are multiple times where Jesus says and God says, I want you to take a risk for me, for my kingdom, for being a part of my story. So let's talk about three ways we see that in this story. 
God carries out his work, as we see in the story, at times, through believers who seize unexpected opportunities and act on them, like Naomi did. She knew Boaz was going to be where he was going to be. She knew that she wanted to take care of Ruth, and she said, we've got to act on this. We've got to do something. We've got to jump in and participate. And that can often be risky, but we've got to do it as being part of this followers of Christ. It's not a safe thing being a Christian. It's something where you have to step out. Another thing, there are two things I want to say, and these kind of go together. But we see from the story that there is no risk, when you're weighing the risk, there is no risk too great when you are acting out of selfless love. For Naomi, asking Ruth to do this, it, for her it was, this is not too big a risk because what I'm doing is because I love you and I want you to be taken care of. Whenever Ruth was saying, am I going to do this or not? She didn't wonder about whether it was worth it to her because her risk was for Naomi. It was not personal, it was not selfish, it was you know what, I'm willing to take this risk because of how much I love you. And all of you know this when you think of the people that you love, whether it's your kids or your loved one or your... When you love someone and they say, you know that there's something you could do to help them, but it has a risk to it, you don't see that risk as much because of how much you care about helping that person. If, if Landry Joe fell off a cliff into a lake, my first thought isn't, oh, what's going to happen to me if I jump off this cliff to go rescue her? I'm jumping in the water. Because there is no risk too great to take care of the ones I love. And then the other side of that is that there is no risk too great when you are risking and take, putting your trust in the Redeemer. For Naomi and for Ruth, both of them felt like, okay, I think this is worth it. You know why? Because I know the character of Boaz. I've seen his kindness and his goodness. And I can trust because he is going to be our guardian Redeemer. I'm going to put my trust in that. Jesus Christ demonstrated the greatest risk anyone's ever demonstrated by being willing to say, I'm going to die on the cross and I'm going to trust, and even though it's risky, I'm going to trust in God that he is going to lift me back up, that God is going to be with me and take care of me. And then we are invited to that exact same level of trust and risk. Throughout scripture, we hear phrases like this, if you want to be one of my followers, you have to die to yourself and follow me. That is not safe. That is not easy. That is not simple. That is risky. And each and every one of us, when we choose to get baptized, when we partake of the communion cup, we announce that we are willing to take that risk, that even if we lose the whole world, we want to gain our soul in Jesus Christ. And that's a risk that Jesus invites us to. But you know why it's not too big of a risk? Because we know our Redeemer will take care of us at the end of it. Because we know our Redeemer has us. And there doesn't feel like there's any risk too big whenever we're trusting in Him. Whenever the Bible says, the world's going to tell you, you need to be safe if you have this and this and this and this. Social status, money, marital status. You're not safe if, and secure if you don't have those things. It is risky for us to declare, I put my hope and trust in that I am secure in my Redeemer and nothing else. All those things are good. All those things are helpful and happy and nice. None of them are eternal. None of them are worth risking too much for. But Jesus Christ, our Redeemer, is. And if any of you would like to learn more about that, we'd love to talk to you about what it looks like to begin that walk through the waters of baptism and, and joining Jesus Christ and, and seeing that He's at work. God's story has been at work from the beginning to the end, and we get to join in that. Take a risk. Take a step to lay down our lives because we know that our Redeemer will raise it back up with Him again. And if any of you have anything that you'd like us to pray about, we'd be happy to do that here in the front, or uh, I think Raymond's going to be in the prayer room after service uh, if, if you'd like a more personal opportunity to pray. Let's stand and sing this song.